And a very good afternoon. It's Monday. It's not Thursday. Uh, but good afternoon and welcome to Daring Live, the first Daring Live of 2024. And episode 101. We're very happy to be back. Uh, Dave, you are looking very depth of field today. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going? It's going well. Glad to be back. Kicking off our 2024 season of Daring Live, yeah. Uh, 2024 it is it's uh, an exciting time we're um we're back we have had floods in san diego we have had the nam show uh, a couple of weeks back actually was that a week ago i didn't even remember it's a week it ago a week yeah. ago uh, it all blurs into one well, it's um, carnival time now in new orleans so that's even more important it kind of blows it away uh, it's carnival that's right and you are uh, it's next starts next week right or does it start right now it, it's already started yeah nice and then today is the third the 13th that's ah, right. Very good. Very good. Are you uh, are you playing out? Are you gigging anywhere? I'm playing around town here and there, riverboats and restaurants and whatnot. So, riverboats, restaurants, and whatnot. I like it. Sounds like a good name for a band if ever there was one. <laughs> uh, well, it's good to be back. Uh, I'm very happy to uh, to see everybody here, uh, and we've got a really good show uh, coming up. We apologize that it's now end of well, technically February, um, but we are back. So I think we'll bring in our guest today. Uh, Jamie Stone is a banjo player, composer, producer, and educator. His collaborators include. Maurice Smiley, Tim O'Brien, Bruce Molsky, Dom Flemons, all of which are encouraged by Jamie to make the sounds that only they know how to make. Fellow musicians frequently seek uh, Jamie's advice, keen to discover how he's managed to craft a career that hews closely to his creative vision and find success in the world, which is a balance that I'm sure many musicians try, strive to meet. And not all of them do, unfortunately. There's always seems to be some kind of trade-off. So we're going to get into that and a whole bunch more. He's busy. I can see him. He's playing to his heart's content. And we're going to bring him in and see if he's... Uh, see, oh, there you go. <laughs> hey, Jamie. Oh. <laughs> How's it going? It's going well. How Excellent. Very well. Thank you for joining us today. Mm -hmm. Excited to be here. Now, where in the world are you? Where in the world? Uh, I am in Boulder County, Colorado a smallish town called Longmont, just down the road from the well. planet Bluegrass that I'm sure yeah. lots of people know about. Yeah. You're not from there, though, are you? No, I'm from Toronto originally. Okay. But I've been How? here for 22 years or so. Okay. Awesome. It's quite the scene down there. I'm sure Dave's going to get into that with you guys and have a, have a conversation about that particular thing of the scene. But, um, yeah, so what we like to do is to kick off the show is invite you to play a little bit of a tune. Uh, get people warmed up and get them used to what your kind of style you're playing. Um, and then we can uh, jump into a conversation with uh, young Depth of Field Dave over there. <laughs> um, <laughs> great. I'm going to play a little bit of the East Tennessee Blues. Awesome. Thank you. 
Yeah, terrific. Sounds great. Yeah. So, uh, hey, so it's good to have you. Thanks for being here. Of course. Um, yeah. You've been on my radar for a long time, but we've we've met quickly in when you were here at Folk Alliance. I, I lent you a banjo if you don't you remember. You very that. graciously and incredibly helpfully left lent me a banjo. Um, I was playing a showcase at the Folk Alliance conference. Um, it was the year just before the pandemic. the pandemic. Yeah, in yeah. fact, it was like two it was like, weeks before it was the like pandemic. The week before. Yeah. Um, so it was my last, you know, total riot in a city packed rooms with lots and lots of people um and that project i was already touring with two instruments and i think a third was just too much for the airplane yeah. uh, navigation so thank you for that what project was that that you're that you're I, I was debuting music from my last album awake okay and so i was playing less banjo and i had electric guitar and acoustic guitar and synthesizers and all kinds of stuff um so yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll get into your projects. Why don't we kind of get into kind of introducing you to people that aren't as familiar with you? Like, how'd you get into? You're from at the top of the show. You're from originally from Canada, mm -hmm. um, and where in Canada? And how'd you get into playing the banjo and, and so into folk music and the real, you know, really going back to the real, really getting digging into it deeply. Um, yeah. So I started playing guitar when I was probably nine years old and I was really like in my own universe um, I remember I used to get off the school bus like three or four stops before my house so I could walk home and just like sing and I was like kind of writing music in my head but I had no models I didn't come from a musical family um, and I would just improvise on guitar and so it wasn't until uh, I heard Bela Fleck and fell head over heels in love with the banjo that I like uh -huh. got serious about music and like understanding how to take music from recordings, music from different cultures, music from different styles and landing it on the banjo. So um, my like kind of studiousness around music arrived right at the same time as the banjo. Um, and that was when how I was old were you about 16. Okay. So I spent most of my last year of high school sitting under the tree on the little hillside out back of school, skipping classes, playing the banjo. Um, I was living in Vancouver at the time. And fortunately, there was a, um, some godsend of a librarian who was obviously really into the banjo and into bluegrass music. Um, mm -hmm. That was a, a walk over the bridge from my house. And so in this interim period between hearing Bela play and getting my first banjo, I had like two weeks and I went to the library and I took out everything there was. It was like Masters of the Five String Banjo, mm -hmm. every Earl Scruggs, Pete Seeger, Mike Seeger, um, of course, Bela Fleck and Tony Trishka. And um, so I was learning all about the African roots of the banjo and minstrel styles and, you know, everything from uh, Junie Scruggs to John Hartford to Tony Trishka um, before I had an instrument in my hand. So I already was kind of like an outsider because I didn't grow up with the music. And then I had this kind of really intense education before I got the instrument. So I sort of jumped in learning everything. Um, All right. And, and, and how did you, did you yeah, have a teacher ahead. on how did you like get into learning the actual instrument? Like um, from like homespun tapes, books homespun and things tapes like that? was yeah. amazing. Um, I used to send away for recordings from Smithsonian Folkways 
this uh-huh. was all pre-digital in the right. mid '90s, and um, you could send a postcard to Folkways with the titles from their big catalog, most of which wasn't actually released, um, like pressed. You know, they had them, like you know, six Elizabeth Cotton records. There'd only be one available on cassette tape, but they would take the masters and send them to you, and along with like a mimeographed full scap 11 by 17 booklet with like all this detailed information. And that's kind of how I got into the history of this music and um, Mm -hmm. got really nerdy about it. And then every time I would hear something I liked, I would, you know, listen to interviews with people and read lighter notes and then go back, you know, whether it was a David Grisman record and he'd mentioned the new Lost City Ramblers and they'd mentioned Clarence Ashley. And, um, and I sort of would go down the, the, the Those family rabbit holes. tree yeah. of the music and down into all the, the little rabbit holes and find the interconnected um, right, right. music of, um, yeah. Well, you can see that because, I mean, fast forward, you, you, you've, you do a lot of different things and you're, you, you complete a lot of different things. So you can see that that's when you're younger that you really dig into things like in, in depth. You're not just kind of touching things and kind of moving on like that. How'd you stay focused and not just get, you know, something else, some other shiny object, you know, right. music or some, anything else to kind of distract you? Um, I mean, I have a natural focus that I think <laughs> is just a little innate to my disposition. Um, who knows, might be, might be astrological or something <laughs> right. I, I don't know about, but, um, and you know in a way like the banjo gave me a focus it has two and a half octaves and this like Mm -hmm. particular um cosmology and it's very peculiar limitations that in a way allowed me it was like a um you know a little a little window through which to kind of like beam out and beam in the whole world Mm -hmm. of music um, right. so it was always getting filtered through the banjo for a long time until I branched out. Um, I mean, for most of, you know, more than 20 years uh, yeah. before I started playing other instruments again. Um, and so, yeah, there was a kind of natural, natural focus. Um, and then within that, you know, limitation, I f- have just explored a lot of different music and tried to figure out, uh, if it can work. Did you ever go to music school, take a lot of former classes? Because, um, you know, your music is complex when, you know, as you listen to your recordings, um, it's not just you playing, it's not just you playing like old tunes, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're, you're taking it different places. So how'd you learn, and, and you're using a lot of different harmony, how'd you learn that? Was this from kind of trial and error or... or? Um, a lot of trial and error. Um, I never went to music school, but I um, have always just kept studying and learning. And um, I'm a big uh, proponent of private lessons. Uh-huh. So usually when I would get curious about something or hear about a new style of music that was opaque to me, I would just take a lesson with somebody, yeah. often not yeah. a banjo player. Um, although I you know, studied early on with Alan Mundy and Bill Evans and Tony Trishka um, and then would hang with Bela on the tour bus, um, you know, maybe once every year or two when I 
catch a show and he was always very generous with showing me whatever um, I was curious about in his playing and also, you know, was always encouraging me and saying like, oh, cool, what are you working on? Show me that. Um, but, you know, I would study with um, tabla players and composers and piano players and guitarists and singers and try and see what I could translate, percussionists. Um, and then a huge amount of learning has just happened from playing with people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I would play with somebody and after a show or after a rehearsal, I would go back to the recording and transcribe everything that trumpet player played on a song. And then that would like blow open my ideas of what could be done on a tune um, mm -hmm. and just rinse and repeat that process and slowly build a lexicon. So how'd you get, I mean, because this is before, like, you know, on, online lessons. So you're, you're having these lessons with these different people. They don't live near you. Mm -hmm. um, how are you, was it just when, and you're still in Vancouver when you're kind of I mean, some of that was in Toronto. Or... Um, and then a lot of that was once I started touring, okay. especially, you know, I would be at world music festivals and backstage having the opportunity to meet gotcha. people who, you know, yeah. play the Chora or play balafon or you know play the pipa or something and you know maybe sit down and learn a tune or record something of theirs um, and then in some cases that would translate into you know me asking to take a lesson um, and I was sort of never shy about that. So I was going to say it sounds like you're definitely not shy. Um, how would you kind of get people recommend other people to like make that because a lot of people I think are going to be have intimidated by by going and asking a, another peer or somebody that they're looking up to for this yeah i Is have it... found that most musicians that i love which tend to be musicians that are dedicated to their craft and curious and creative they're in this process the same process that we're all in right mm -hmm. um and and even if they're at a different level or have a different field of expertise they're really familiar with that curiosity because they have it. And, and when you kind of connect with them on that level, um, oftentimes people are like, oh yeah, let me, let me show you what I'm up to. It's so cool that you're curious about this. Um, mm -hmm. a, a, a early experience of this actually was um, uh, when I was living in Vancouver, Tony Trishka came up with Psychograss to play right. um, at a summer festival. And they were supposed to have a banjo workshop and not enough people signed up, so they canceled it. And I was devastated. And I knew where he was staying. He was staying at uh, a friend of mine's. And so I called. You stopped him. <laughs> and, and they just said like, well, let, let me put Tony on the phone, which I was absolutely not ready for. Um, and I was, you know, 17 years old at the time. Um, um, and, uh, um, and he said, yeah, you know, the workshop was canceled. I, I'm so sorry. Uh, maybe maybe we'll try and connect some other time. And then there was this long, awkward silence. And I just kind of blurted it. I was like, do you want to come over and, and maybe give me a banjo lesson? And, and he said, yeah, what's your address? I'll be over in 10 minutes. And yeah. 10 minutes later, Tony Trishka showed up at my house. Um, it says I, a lot about Tony Trishka. Oh, right? absolutely, yeah. Um, <laughs> and we spent two hours together. I still have the like handwritten tablature. Um, yeah. 
And, and in a way, it was experiences like that that made me realize that this community was really small and quite open. And right. um, even if people were seemingly famous or for, for real legit famous, generally, if you were coming at it with a, a love of music, um, uh, people, people would respond in kind. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely a, a real, a real community. And, uh, that's, that's what makes it kind of, I think the acoustic music world, um, open, you know, Mm -hmm. everybody's accessible generally. Totally. Yeah. Um, so were you playing in, as you kind of came out, you know, you're getting out of high school, were you playing in, in, kind of traditional string bands and, and whatnot for a while? Or did you immediately go into kind of exploring new things? I was exploring new things at the same time as I was learning traditional things. Okay. So I always played tunes and was endlessly learning fiddle tunes and working on my traditional playing, whether mm-hmm. or not that was like my main um creative outlet often it wasn't and whether or not that's what i was playing on stage um when i moved back to toronto when i was maybe 19 or 20 um i just you know i went to a couple of the bluegrass jams and there was a lot of drinking and there was a lot of staying up really late i was actually teaching yoga for a living at the time Mm -hmm. and the the lifestyle and sensibility was just like not where I was at. Um, mm-hmm. And I started going to shows like in the improvised music community. Um, and it seemed like those kind of composers that were not like writing things down in notation, but were doing a lot of improvisation and collaborating with people that had their own voice. And that was kind of the scene that really inspired me. And that felt like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's how I want to play. And right. um, I, and and they didn't feel like, you know, it was strange that I played the banjo because they were into newness. You know, everybody right. in that scene was like, they were all trying to make new sounds, right? right? And so suddenly someone who was playing the banjo that was interested in, you know, a different universe of harmony and bringing folk ideas into conversation with other kinds of music. Um, that was just like, you know, a, another fresh take which they were into Mm -hmm. um and so that's sort of who i fell in with a lot of jazz musicians um and then i started really getting into playing music um from foreign countries foreign to me (laughs) um and um a big moment happened when i got invited to go to a jam session with a fellow named Mansa Sisoko, who's a 21 string African harp player um, mm-hmm. and singer and griot, which is like a kind of culture bearer um, from West Africa. He, he was from Bamako um, in Mali. And a mutual friend had brought him to come do a little tour of some festivals. They knew that I was into African music and invited me. And there was a whole lot of people kind of jamming on his music. Um, and I was just like really watching him carefully and our kind of like eyes locked. And he realized that there was another thing going on that we were like, I was really trying to understand what was going on. And 
asking him lots of questions and he was telling me all about the music and um um, and right then and there, you know, like that night after we finished the jam session, I stayed up transcribing all this like Cora piece that he had played. And the next morning, like went and played it with him and, you know, asked him wow. for feedback. And, um, and then he just said like, why don't you come play the rest of these shows with me? Um, and so I just kind of sat in on all this repertoire. Um, and that's when I vowed to go to Mali. And I had known that the banjo um, had originally come over with enslaved folks from West Africa. Right. And it was always very odd to me that people mentioned that fact without actually playing African music. Right. Like, you know, a lot of my teachers, like, you know, Bill Evans and Tony Shushka, they, they both um, played minstrel music, um, which was the first white adaptation right. um, of, you know, enslaved people's music. But nobody was actually playing African music, which I was already really into. And it turned out that actually with the right tuning and setting, um, a lot yeah, of those things actually came really naturally. It's as if it was made for it. Um, <laughs> right. um, and then um, a few years later, I went and spent a few months in Mali. Um, and so that that's really kind of what plunged me into uh, that music. So you, you just mentioned something about, you know, the right tuning. Did you, when playing... African music, did you often you'd retune to alternate tunings? Well, when I played with Cora players, I would just tune the banjo down a whole step. So uh -huh. it was open F instead of open G. Um, John, John Hartford style. Okay. Um, and that let me, you know, use a lot of the open strings and kind of native native banjo language or a lot of the tunes matched. in f is yeah the, the chorus okay. tends to be okay. um in f and and related modes like sure f and f lydian and d minor mm -hmm. and um the related pentatonics and all that um so that was that was one one solution yeah definitely um and so when when did you start making your own records under your name was it is it 2010 is that's the one I could find, but did you have others before that? 2010, no, actually years before that. Um, I can't remember the year. I'm gonna say something like 2004, I made a record with my band then called Tricycle. Okay. That was all original music um, and has been out of print for a long time. I don't even know if it's on streaming services at this point, but it's I'm not sure on it's... Apple music. So, okay. Yeah. Um, and then my first record under my own name was the utmost that I think was in 2005 or so okay. with, uh, Ross Martin and Matt Flinner and a bunch of other folks. Um, and that was a kind of new acoustic ish record that also had some other instruments like trumpet and oboe and right. clarinet. Um, <laughs> um, so I was already kind of exploring other palettes. Yeah. Um, and then I made a new record like almost every two years after that. Yeah, you've, you've, you've done, you know, you're quite prolific and you keep you know, there's always like, it seems like you have a new project and different, you're not just repeating the, the last thing you made kind of with, a, you, you, you really 
find something and really hone in on it. So it's. And I'm it's, a little. Uh, I'm a little restless. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess I've made. I figured out how to channel that. Um, but I, I tend to do a thing of like. I I'm really like I really get fascinated with something that I don't know how to do or I don't understand, mm -hmm. and then almost as soon as I can do it. I, there's some new shiny thing. Uh -huh. <laughs> like I got really obsessed with Clawhammer banjo. Right. right. Um, Cause it was like this thing that I hadn't, it was so mysterious to me. And for about a year, all I did was play Clawhammer banjo. And then almost as soon as I could do it, I stopped playing Clawhammer banjo. <laughs> <laughs> so I can, I can, I can relate to that. I can, I can yeah. easily distracted to a different style of music or a different style of playing or a different instrument. Yeah. Um, what, are you into, what are you into these days? Right now it's, a, it's tenor banjo, but I've been doing Brazilian music on tenor banjo. Oh, um, cool. Trying to do that. Cause there's a, the, uh, it, it works out. It has a similar, cause there's the Brazilian banjo and it, it mm -hmm. has, a, so it has, it's tuned similar to it. It's tuned like a, tuned i think open g actually but it okay. but the sound and the attack of it is is like a tenor banjo so it kind of works these these rhythms and are you playing like choro music or samba i was trying to do right Sambas. now okay yeah so Beautiful. just learning those rhythms um super but cool. but yeah it can it can easily waver um yeah it sounds like you're a little better at um following through and then wavering to something else <laughs> as opposed to as opposed to just touching touching the uh you know, touching it, kind of getting it. Then you know, you know what? It, 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 it's uh, um, I have many, many, many projects um, that have not seen the light of day. And, um, you know, as, for all the things that maybe I, I have completed, I have so many things that just, you know, I never quite saw my way through or, uh, you know, have been have been sitting waiting. And, and oftentimes, you know, things like I remember Ross Martin once telling me after I was kind of bemoaning the way that I felt like I was flitting around is he actually said, you know, there's no wasted time. It seems like even if you got into something for a night, got really obsessed with something, transcribed half of something and then abandoned it, you know, it will do something to your playing, to your thinking, it'll show up sometimes years later. And I've really found that to be true. Um, things that, you know, I never quite got together, but might have turned my right hand onto a certain approach mm -hmm. or might have put a new rhythmic idea in my head. And then years later, I'm writing something and it just shows up. Mm -hmm. So I, I actually find that like very little really goes to waste. Um, and I, I wind up coming back around to things and sometimes things just need time. You know, like I often actually make things too complicated for myself. Um, seems like maybe as I get older, I'm going back to things that I wanted to play exactly like another instrument played it and realized like, you know what, if you just leave out a few notes, it sounds yeah. just as good and it's so much more playable. Yeah. Um, so sometimes it takes a while to kind of settle in. And what's your recommendation on completing things on, on, because you know how to just finishing something if you especially like a if you have a new band idea or you know or or a new recording idea or just some new songs that you're writing to complete that 
and then be able to move on to the next thing. Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of different solutions and I think it really depends on who someone is, like what their motivations are, what their weaknesses are, um, what, what enticements help them, you know, like sometimes I, I work, not sometimes I'm almost always working on a few different things at once and mm -hmm. I can use one as a carrot in a way to like lure me to and from, you know, so I have something that, you know, might hit a wall where I feel frustrated mm -hmm. or I can't do something or it's not coming together as quickly as I'd like. And then I have something else I'm working on that comes a little easier. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I do it like pretty unconsciously. Like last right. night I was wanting to learn a, a new song and I learned two songs at the same time. And as soon as I got tired or it felt like my brain was too full to take in, I would just switch songs. And it mm -hmm. seems counterintuitive, but actually it's like nice to like have a palate cleanser um, and things that are maybe working at different levels, something, you know, a slow piece and a fast piece or something that is, right. um, you know, in a different key or in a different setting or just like uses a different skill set. Um, yeah. So that's like one thing that sometimes works. Um, I think making notes about things I'm trying to get better at. Um, and, and I think a big part of it, honestly, is just being able to name like what's not working. Because usually like things mm -hmm. stop for a reason, you know, like you would like write it down even like make it. Yeah, sometimes. Like, and I, I'll ask myself like, okay, like what's head. what's working here? What's not working? Um, maybe I'll spend more time on the things that are working. And as long as I can name like, oh, yeah, I have like that idea. I haven't figured out what the chord should be or or I have three ideas and I haven't figured out which goes in which order mm -hmm. or here's a section. I don't know where it belongs. And as long as I can actually like say that or write that down, you know, oh, here's this little orphan idea. And then I can ask myself sometimes away from the instrument, like, what does that want to be? You know, like um, I was listening to an interview with um, a writer who I've been recently really into named um, Hela Alyan, um, a Palestinian poet and novelist. And she was saying um, that, you know, she often asks questions of her characters in a novel, like um, as if they're real people, like um, where do they live? What do they want to do next? What keeps them up at night? Um, you know, what's their blind spot? Um, and, and I realized that I could actually like ask the same question of an idea. Mm -hmm. Like, so I might start writing a, a melody like, mm -hmm. oh, that's nice. And then like, I'll ask you, like, if that was a part of a melody of a song, is that the first phrase or the second phrase? Yeah. Sort of sounds like the second phrase. So well, uh, not, yeah, it could be. It's, you're doing like a question and answer of two people, but they're exactly. the same thing, sort of thing. Yeah. One other way, you know. So. Oh, cool. And then I might 
think like, well, does that feel like it's the A part? Is it like the opening statement? Or does that feel like the hook of the court? You know, so I'm often like asking questions of things and, and that's a good thing to do with things that aren't quite working or aren't quite finished, you know? Just to know like, oh yeah, seems like it's missing a chord or it seems like it's missing a phrase or it seems like it wants to be longer. Um, mm -hmm. So I've been really into this sort of thing of like a asking, asking good questions of whatever the material I'm working with is. Does it wanna be in another key? Um, mm -hmm. my, my favorite question these days is, what's the opposite of that, <laughs> right? So if something's down low, well, the opposite is go up high. Or, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of banjo tunes, like we like to write melodies that sort of like eddy around themselves because the mm -hmm. range is not so big. And right. so if I have a section of a tune that's like not very wide, maybe the B section, I think like, what's the opposite? And it's like, oh, maybe it wants to like arpeggiate really far or mm -hmm. um, move really fast up a couple octaves or something like that. Yeah. Anyway. No, that's good. That's really good. Fun stuff to think about. Yeah. No, I think you asking these sort of questions it comes across in your in your in your recordings and your playing because it feels like you are generally always doing what's best for the music oh, and it's your recordings aren't you know your your chops are, are very good but your they aren't about you like mm. the the recordings are about feel like the music and then in the right and so you I think you are asking these questions about you know what uh, generally what is good for the music yeah. yeah does it does it need banjo <laughs> that's a that's always a good question that's always a good question does this, this do i have to force banjo on this thing does this need me at all <laughs> um have I've you been... have you on your recordings have you ever done anything where you aren't on a track yeah. not just like a spoken word thing but uh, um like... like where i'm not on track at all yeah yeah actually um so I had a very dreamy gig for seven years um, producing music for an in-house library at Facebook and Instagram. Um, and that was one of my questions of how you get yeah. your music into the here so, so much. Yeah, so I, um, I produced 400 songs uh -huh. and this was always a pivotal question. Does this need me? You know, because of course, I would never have kept that job if I had made all banjo songs, banjo right? Because, yeah. you know, the world doesn't necessarily need that, um, in my humble opinion, um, as, a, as a, a banjo player that loves this instrument very dearly. Um, and so, yeah, I would do everything from, you know, curate um, and, you know, have other artists um, create the bulk of it and really just produce the session to sometimes I would write the music for other people. Um, I would even write songs for specific singers. Um, I did a lot of collaboration. Um, a lot of times I would write something on the banjo and then give it away to another instrument. Mm -hmm. So this is the instrument that I'm, I'm most adept at. And so it was easy for me to write things. And then I would think like, oh, you know, this would sound better on the, the bandolim, or maybe sure. this would be much cooler on piano. Um, and I've even done that on my own records of 
written something on the banjo, given away all the best parts to other mm -hmm. instruments, and then returned to it and thought, if somebody hired me to play banjo on this pre-existing song where all these parts are already covered, what would I play then? Um, and then write a new banjo part. So I do that sometimes. Right. Yeah, that's great. Do you want to play another tune? We're kind of, sure. kind of in the midway point a little bit. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll play some Bach. Yeah. piece that piece is, is so great and then mm -hmm. you played it very well it's great and it works on the banjo so well i really think of that you know as like a extremely foundational piece like i learned more about how the banjo could work mm -hmm. from that piece um yeah yeah it's like an amazing like kaleidoscope you know, right. um, to uh, see what's possible on the instrument. It's so cool. Yeah, I think for for an intermediate player, I think it's like a really, really worthwhile piece that I still love playing. Yeah, yeah. You got a lot of people watching really loved it, too. People love comments. Uh, Hi, know, everybody. Beautiful, very nice. Uh, excellent. So uh, people are enjoying it a lot. We're getting some questions here, everybody in here. So I want to get to some of these now. We have one from Blake Jackson saying, do you always hit the chord changes on the downbeat with your thumb? Um, um, in I'm not what, 
And maybe maybe you could clarify a little bit, Blake. Um, um, hello. Uh, um, do you mean when playing like backup in a in a more bluegrass setting? Because um, it is really different in different settings. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll look out for maybe maybe while that. we wait for his answer yeah, i'll yeah. just say um it, it really depends like if um you're playing a sort of like you know like earl would do that kind of thing um where you're sort of playing a a, a would-be baseline then certainly you know um on a on a two-step kind of tune that's would make some sense but it really depends you know if i'm Playing with a bass player, I might actually be playing chord changes off the downbeat, you know, because I know that the downbeat is generally being covered and I know that the root of the chord is being covered. Same thing with a, you know, bluegrass guitar player might be covering that. And so that gives me room to move around. Um, but of course, if I'm playing a duo with a guitar player, um, it's really important to deliver that downbeat and a very clear delineation of the chords because they were giving that to me so well when i was playing the melody or um taking a solo right and you don't want to kind of leave them hung out to dry um and and so it really depends in a way on like how how many people you're playing with and all that but yeah it's super fun uh to play i was recently kind of toying around with playing the kind of um walking bass and chord thing um, that like a jazz guitar player would do. Like if you were playing on a, a Foggy Mountain special, you could go like. Which is super fun and then you know essentially you're getting this walking bass movement kind of um, action and then you're kind of grabbing little little bits of the chord once a bar to make sure there's a little harmony ringing that kind of thing super fun yeah yeah um we have another question from Julie Colton, Rager viewer. Um, has Jamie ever considered collaborating with the Hen House Prowlers on his interest in African influences in music? Hi, Can Julie. First of all, um, <laughs> remind me who the Hen House Prowlers are, because I, yeah, I know the name, Chicago, but I can't quite remember. Chicago area bluegrass band, but they work for the they get do a lot for the State Department going overseas. Oh, cool. And um, yeah. they've done a lot in Africa and they they do have, so they've, they and they recently, they do a couple songs, um, you know, it's, I don't know which language, but you know. Oh, amazing. Um, I have to check that out. Um, yeah, uh, thanks for the tip. I'll, I'll, I'll check it out. Yeah, there's been um, a really amazing kind of synergy between that State Department program and the acoustic music world. Um, I have many, many friends um, that have done these really extensive, you know, you go sometimes to eight countries over three months, um, and it's like a really cool cultural immersion um, for the musicians. And um, I think it's just one of those uh, 
word of mouth things that like enough people in the acoustic world were doing that. And um, obviously, you know, Appalachian music and bluegrass music is a, a good, uh, a good American export um, yeah. and uh, instruments that don't need amplification. So it sort of is like a good fit. Um, but yeah, I'll definitely check out the, the Hen House Prowlers. And um, yeah, I um, still, you know, love, love African music so much. And um, these days I've been playing a lot more uh, African music on guitar. Um, in the pandemic, I got really into some of the East African solo fingerstyle guitar mm -hmm. players and been transcribing a lot of that music, which is really cool. And also fun uh, after many years of trying to translate all these songs onto the banjo um, and techniques onto the banjo, it's like extremely refreshing um, to play something that was like actually written on guitar for guitar. <laughs> and it's like, oh, wow, that's actually, um, yeah. it makes a lot of sense here. Yeah. Do you ever get, not, I don't know, tired's the right word, but, you know, it, you know, trying to always put music that's not written for this instrument onto this instrument versus totally. you know, versus like, you know, guitar, there's, you know, gazillion different styles and people doing it, you know, mm -hmm. different ways, you know, and you could, so I just, you know, copy that. Yeah. I mean, there's something like, and maybe this is partly why I started playing banjo in the first place. It's like immediately unique to take something from guitar that maybe everybody does or is kind of cliche. And it's like, as soon as you put it on the banjo, it's like immediately can sound so fresh. Um, right. right. And, and so there's something really nice about that, right? Mm -hmm. Get, like I kind of revel in that. And there's something frustrating about like endlessly being like, oh, and then you run out of frets. Oh, right. you know, you're missing a couple Whatever. of strings that would make the bass notes easy. But it's fun to go back and forth. And, and honestly, sometimes I'll learn something on guitar and think, oh, yeah, this is so much easier. And then go back and play it on the banjo. Um, like I recently learned how to play, uh, Moon River, which is like a standard. Yeah. I loved you, you probably play that tune. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so beautiful. And I, for years I've been saying like, I wish you could do it on banjo, but it's like that particular song, the, the, there's a lot of, um, extensions in the chords that aren't the melody. And, and so to play the bass note and the really important colors and play the melody, you just don't have enough. And so I, I, every time I've tried, I've been frustrated. So I learned it on guitar. And then of course, as soon as I could do it on guitar, um, I was like, actually that phrase could work on the banjo. Maybe I'll just learn that phrase. Actually, you know, and I ended up, you know, kind of moving it over.
Yeah, beautiful. I, I found that too, like taking things on guitar, like especially standards like that. Um, mm -hmm. Learn it on a chord solo on guitar and then bring it over to banjo and figure totally. out. Totally. Yeah. I, I um, don't we, know that I would have been able to actually play some of that had I not mm -hmm. learned it on guitar first. Right. Yeah. It, it, sometimes that gives you a clearer path because just going mm -hmm. to the weirder thing. Mm -hmm. It's like, how do I even play this on any instrument? And then, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, we have, we have one more question I want to get to, and then I want to bring Jamie in. Um, let's see. Joseph Rosk is asking Jens Kruger, Bellafleck, and now Jamie Stone seem to be drawn to Bach on banjo. Why? And what is it about his, his compositions? Yeah. Well, not just us, many, 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 um, banjo players, um, and, you know, other people in the new acoustic world, John Bullard, um, I produced mm -hmm. a record for him called the, um, the, oh, I can't remember now, Southern art, uh, the, the perfect Southern art. Um, that was a, a record of classical music on the banjo. And he's, I think one of the most elegant and eloquent, um, classical musicians on the banjo really has gone deep. Um, well, for one thing, um, Bach in particular, a lot of his music um, is really eighth note based. Um, it's very dancey. He wrote a lot of pieces, you know, like the, the French suites, for instance, are actually a suite of international dances, right? Each um, movement would start with an allemande, which is a, a, a German dance, and a courant is a French and Saraband Spanish and a jig, which we all know as a jig. Um, so they're basically like folk dance styles that he would use as the scaffolding to write, you know, his own much more harmonically dense and uh, sophisticated music. Um, and so there's actually a natural folk connection there in that he was really interested in folk dance styles. Um, and then I think those uh, endless streams of uh, eighth notes with, um, you know, one of the things that we do with roles, right, is we, we move through harmony and move through melody and kind of spin all these notes around them. And so, you know, Earl Scruggs would usually use the notes of the chord um, and Bach would often spin the notes of the arpeggio or the scales and then he would sort of uh, move really beautifully like in and out of different keys and um, and and so there's a kind of relatedness and then uh, a kind of uh, supercharged quality you know um, they're sort of like um, like uh, fiddle tunes on steroids or something mm-hmm yeah um, yeah, the, 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 there, there is a relationship there though, you know, you were mentioning his influence from folk music and then, mm -hmm. and jumping out the relationship to, to kind of yourself, you know, as, as you've jumped, you know, you've used that as your root and then, you know, branched out from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of that stuff just like works really beautifully on the banjo. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. it just, it just works. And there's, I think it's something that could allow the harpsichord music mm -hmm. you know, it's very close to the banjo in 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 attack and yeah 
And that's always the question whenever you're transcribing something from another instrument, you know, is like, is there something reminiscent? Like the harpsichord has that tonal quality, has that lack of sustain um, that makes a composer write certain things for it that will lend themselves um, to another instrument. Yeah. All right, we got Jamie in here. I was just thinking as you were talking about uh, Bach, we probably couldn't go through that without uh, acknowledging our good friend uh, Michael Miles as mm, well. Yeah. Who uh, just has, he was, he's done a series of, of episodes with us, uh, but uh, all centered around his album. I think it's a, is it American Bach? I think it's called. Um, something along those lines. But yeah, very, very, uh, very good album. And well worth listening to as well. So yeah, there is something in the, in the water as far as banjo uh, players and one of the one of the finest. Yeah, industry, and and right? you know he was really inspired by Pete Seeger, who mm -hmm. um, recorded uh, "Hey Joy of Man's Desiring" on the Goofing Off Suite record. Mm -hmm. um, and again, you know, a lot of us associate Pete Seeger with what he's best known for, you know, which is getting a large crowd of people singing while yes. he strums chords but he's actually like a very sophisticated and forward-thinking banjo player that i think oh, yeah. a lot of folks forget about so um if if you all aren't familiar check out his album the goofing off suite he plays grieg and rachmaninoff and bach and wow. um, he does a really amazing version of the jazz standard blue skies mm -hmm. um, and he does a lot of things that we normally forget that Pete Seeger does, and it was in like the early 1950s, like mm -hmm. before so many things that we consider like progressive banjo. Um, right. Yeah. Well, as Joseph says, now I have another rabbit hole to go down. So yes, Joseph. Joseph, <laughs> Joseph is a regular viewer as well. And sorry, uh, sorry, and you're welcome. He he is. <laughs> he and Julie and a few others are sponges of information, and then constantly absorbing. Uh, everything that the uh, all of our amazing guests put out there. So thank you for that. Uh, right. So I am here because that is not the only banjo you have in your possession right now. Oh, yes. Ah. So we're going to do a thing this year. This is our first episode of 2024. We're going to try something and we've kind of somewhat already failed, uh, <laughs> but we're going to carry on anyway. Um, so we have a good time banjo. Uh, that everyone knows and loves and, and Jamie just unboxed and took out for the first time. What we're going to try and do is we're going to try and send this banjo to every, well, at least as many, but hopefully every Deering Live guest that we have this year, have them play it, have them sign it, uh, ship it to the next guy, and then at the end of the year, we're going to come up with something to do with it. Maybe we auction, maybe we sell, maybe we donate, um, and uh, do something cool towards the end of the year. So, Jamie is, uh, I didn't ask you at the top of the show if you have a Sharpie handy, but um, it's not the end of the world. Do you, you want me to do like a live signing? Yeah, that'd, that'd be cool. Be more <laughs> Let's do a live signing. Okay, yeah. great. Um, and, then, so and then we'll have you play an outro on it. So we okay, can great. do a... Um, um, I will it can sign be, it. It can be anywhere you want. Where should I yeah. sign it? Uh, I mean, the head's the obvious one, but I mean, okay, it's kind of free reign, whatever you... All right. We'll start here. There we go. Um, That's all right. As long as you hold it up and you can... Prove to the world that you signed it personally. Uh, tomorrow we have uh, Colton Crawford from the Dead South uh, for a Deering Live doubleheader. And um, yeah, he's not going to be able to have it live, I don't think. Overnighting it up to Canada is uh, 
an option at this point, but he's going to get it. We will have him assign it as well. There we are. There nice. it is. The first one. Yeah. Um, and I'm the, plotting its journey on a Google map as well for the nice. whole year. I'm going to have a whole thing at the end of it. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> these are such great banjos. Um, whenever somebody is learning to play or wanting to learn to play the banjo, this is the only thing I ever recommend. You know, every awesome. every every other beginning banjo, they try just to make them look fancy. Um, and I feels like everything just went into the craftsmanship, good wood, good tuners, the things you really need. It's great. That's awesome. When did you get that? Did you did you unbox it when you got it, or did you? Uh, I took play it out for of the, the box first time, and, but I haven't played it yet. Ah, okay, cool, yeah. excellent. So this is the first time. So uh, if you want to have a have a little play outro for us, sure. and then I might just hold on before I cut to the to the to the end screen, and just I want to just get your your reaction afterwards, if that's okay. Okay. Um, All right. Fair fair warning. It doesn't have a strap, so I'm like somewhat trying to figure out how to but keep a it pro. from, from <laughs> toppling. <laughs> ancestor to salt creek that's very cool sounded sounds, good sounds great yeah it's very it's very bell-like yeah it sounds really great Turns out the Deering Banjo Company can make a banjo. It sounds good. I like Turns that. out. Yeah. Turns um, out. Actually, okay, because that's what we do. <laughs> I didn't I didn't tell you, but my, my first two banjos were both Deerings. Okay. Ah. The one, the model. I, I had a black diamond. Oh, very that cool. I, yeah. I bought in 1996. Pre 06 tone ring. At, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, mm. At uh, Dusty Strings in Seattle. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and then. For some reason, I decided that the black head on the black diamond banjo was the coolest thing possible. <laughs> so, like, maybe two years later, I, I traded it in and um, got a, a black diamond. Do you still make those? Are they still around? So, funny story about the black diamond. We discontinued it. Uh, man, when did I start the company? 2011, 2013 or 14, somewhere in there. Okay. Uh, and... 
um, yeah, they just didn't, you know, the Sierra had been reworked. And so the inlay patterns were a lot more elaborate and people just kind of latched onto that mm -hmm. and the deluxe at the time. But we just, we started working maybe six months ago with um, uh, Reed Connolly. Reed plays banjo with Zach Bryan mm -hmm. and he plays banjo with um, a couple of other artists as well. And uh, he basically said, listen, the only way I'm going to work with Deering is if you make me a black diamond. Because I want one, <laughs> and so he just likes the aesthetics of it. He loves it, and yeah. and actually we um we've been we've been playing. I, I shouldn't say too much, should I, Dave? But we've been playing with our our White Lotus uh, model and making a kind of more traditional looking version of that. And okay. um, the one we just took to the Nam show, the the prototype was essentially um, a black diamond aesthetic. Okay. With the same yeah. kind of stain and the same purfling and that kind of thing. So it looks really, really cool. Nice. Yeah, it's a really nice looking piece. I like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we should, we might have to re-release that. Yeah, those are great. And I've always loved the the John Hartford banjos mm -hmm. are so good. Yeah. Love that one too. Yeah. That's my one of my favorites. Yeah. The tone on the the the, the tone ring, the Grenadier, um mm -hmm. just works really, really well. Get a couple of people once in a while want the um uh, the longer version uh, with the 24 fret, and then mm -hmm. the, the pop-on uh, resonator version as well, which is that, I think yeah. that that system is kind of cool. I like. Yeah, that I think it's super cool. Yeah. The, the yeah. only thing is, like every time I play one, I profoundly get lost with now oh, the inlay pattern. The inlay pattern, yeah. and, uh, yeah. <laughs> you don't realize until it's it's good. It's good teaching you to not play with your eyes just totally to your ears yeah. and stop looking down there yeah well stuff so, because that's that's still very much a banjo player thing i've discovered yeah like i got most guitar players i know and certainly myself as a guitar and bass player uh i'm using the side dots so i, I mm -hmm. could not wrap my head around the fact that people uh yeah. are getting lost but yeah that inlay pattern like just transcends is it two or three frets i think and it yeah it's it different i forget yeah yeah, yeah. So, yeah, people who have the Hartford or played the Hartford probably know what we're talking about. So. Yeah. Jamie, Jamie with a Y, uh, any further insights, thoughts, things you'd like to share with the world before we sign off for the evening? Um, this has been really delightful. Nice to yeah. hang out. And um, thanks for all the insightful questions. Um, I, have, I have no closing closing statement. <laughs> do you do you remember Jerry Springer show? Jerry Springer used to do the final thought on his show. Oh, I never watched that show. <laughs> no, I mean I, it, was, it was unavoidable, I think, for a certain time. But yeah, yeah, final thought where he would say something very profound at the end okay. of the show. <laughs> but no, that's great. It was really really fun to meet you and uh, to hang with you and, and listen in as Dave took to charge of the uh, most of the proceedings. But no, really really insightful stuff. Um, and I awesome. think for sure a lot of people in the chat are just walking away with little nuggets of of wisdom that they can kind of dig into which is always one of the goals of this show is to create the community learn more about our guests and then kind of just help everybody grow in in the banjo right that's the that's the overarching theme here Fabulous. So, yeah anything we can do for you let us know uh always All happy right. to help um and uh real quick let's just throw up where you can be found because as I observed, your website and your backdrop there are very similar, so it's worth checking out. JamieStone.com, and at JamieStone is your Instagram handle. Is that correct? Yeah, that's the only social media that I use with any regularity. Very um, good. And um, the 
email sign up on my website is currently down because I'm about to launch a new website. So if anyone is um, dying to sign up for my email list um, to hear about future projects and workshops and um, lessons and things like that, they can send an email to jamie at jamiestone.com and um, ask to be on the list. Um, and I am planning to start a Patreon um, ah. for banjo players this coming year. Very good. Um, so look out for that. Awesome. That is yeah. the correct email, correct? That is correct. Lovely. Look at that. Yeah. Speed. Wonderful. Well, give uh, Jamie an email if you want to be keeping in touch with uh, all of his ongoings and projects and stuff. And do check out his website. Do check out him on Instagram. And are you heading out on tour or anything that people should know about? Are you visiting different places? Actually, I'm doing um, a short tour um, in Washington State oh, cool. um, starting on February 29th um, okay. through March the 2nd. We're playing mostly Little Islands. Um, we'll be um, on Whidbey Island and yeah. in Port Angeles, Danny Barnes country. Yeah. Um, and then over to um, 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 Bainbridge Island. Um, so Very if anyone's cool. out there in the Pacific Northwest, um, come to a show, um, send your friends and family. I'll be playing with uh, <clears throat> amazing Scottish fiddler and singer named Hannah Reed, um, who's fantastic. And Tristan Claridge is playing cello. Um, Very good. So that's going to be a really, really cool tour. That sounds like a fun time. Yeah. yeah. If you're up there, make sure you get out and, and Dave, see Jamie. And you um, in uh, about a, a month and a half in, in New Orleans. Yeah, you're doing a blues guitar thing down mm -hmm. here. Um, yeah. And people can sign up on your website for that as well. Uh, actually, they can go to it's sonoraexpeditions.com. Oh, um, S O N O R A. Um, and it's a global traveling music retreat um, that I'm co facilitating um, with a, a friend named Spencer Hanley, who has an online guitar program um, called Sonora. And um, the idea is to create in-person camps in towns and cities around the world that have deep folkloric traditions. And we bring in master musicians from the community to teach every day. And every night we go out and see live music and sort of have a cultural immersion um, in the place where that music is from. And so we, we are starting in New Orleans and we're planning future trips in Havana and Sao Paulo and oh, wow. uh, many, many other places we want to hit. Um, so people can check out Sonora Expeditions for more on that, which I'm very stoked about. Very That cool. sounds very cool. Yeah, I'm a little bit jealous of that. That's, yeah. That sounds like a good time. Come join us. <laughs> yeah, which one do I pick, though? I don't know. We should come down and see Dave. We should just hang out. Yeah. There you go. Well, All Jamie, right. listen, been, it's been a pleasure. It really has. And... Um, Thank you for everything. And if, like I say, if you need anything from us, let us know. And everyone out there, uh, whether you're watching us live now or you're going to watch the repeat right after, uh, thank you for tuning in as always. And we'll see you tomorrow afternoon for Colin Crawford and for the rest of 2024. Everyone stay safe. Sounds good. <laughs>